Good morning. It's a great blessing for me to bring you the gospel of the kingdom of God, the grace of God, and to tell you that God loves you and that his love is powerful enough to bring forth his life in you. The good news that the kingdom of God has now broken into this world is what I announce unto you. We are not under the power of sin and death anymore. We are under the power of God's love, where the creator of heaven and earth brings forth his life in us. Today we're going to be preaching from Luke chapter 15, but before we get into that, let us just pray together. Father, I want to thank you for your love and your grace. I want to thank you that you care for us, that you've come and you've washed away our sins. You are dressing us up in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness through your love for us. Thank you for that. Speak powerfully through me today, God. Thank you that you empower me continually to bring your gospel. Amen, amen. Today we're going to be talking about things that we have to face as Christians, facts that we have to face in everyday life as Christians. This past, this last week I've been in Zambia, went to collect my employment permit from immigration there. Uh, and as I was there, I've had, there was a long period that I've had to wait in the hotel. And as I was waiting there, I was thinking of some of the things that we have to face as Christians. And one of the facts that we have to face as a Christian is that God loves us, man. We've got to face that fact. We've got to face the fact that we are only saved by grace and not by the works of the law. We have to face the fact that the law is fulfilled. We have to face facts like God took away the sin of the world. We have to face the fact that God has broken down the middle wall of separation between Jew and Gentile, as well as the separation that there would have been in our minds between us and God in uniting humanity with God in the resurrected Jesus Christ. We've got to just face that fact. We have to, uh, like I've said it many times, put it in our pipe and smoke it. Because that is part of the truth and the reality of this world. It doesn't help we don't live by that and make as if it's not true. Imagine I live in South Africa and I, and I, I want to live as if the apartheid system is not gone. I want to live as if it's still the 80s and we are in the Boer War. and Or not the Boer War, the Bush War. We're still in the Bush War and I'm busy thinking that we are still in, on the Angola border fighting. I mean, that will influence me to the point that I will not go and start a mission station on the Angola border preaching the gospel of Jesus because I wouldn't know when I'm going to die. No. There are certain things, certain facts that we need to face and that is that the Bush War where there was a war on the Angola border there, is over. The war in Angola is over. We have to face the fact that apartheid is over in South Africa. We have, there are certain facts that we have to face. South Africa, we have to face the fact that we have certain difficulties. We have to face that. But we also have to face the more eternal, greater facts, and that is that the sins of the world has been taken away in Jesus Christ, that God has come and that heaven has invaded earth. We have to face the fact that there's an empty grave 
glory to God. And the one that went into the grave went in as a human, and he was raised as a human, yet now he's got a glorified body or a spiritual body that can never die. We have to face the fact that he is the Lord of heaven and earth. We cannot live as if that is that doesn't exist. We cannot live as if that is not true. We cannot live as if that is just the spiritual things uh, as pertaining to the sweet by and by and when we're going to go to heaven. That's we, we cannot live like that. The way we have to live is by putting all the facts on the table. We've got to take this fact. We've got to put it down. Here's the Bible. Here is maybe the history of my life that was written down, and we can put all the facts on the table, and we have to face these facts and have a life that is not born with like an ostrich with your head in the sand. Many times people say to me, and I've heard it said, by people all over when we say we face what Jesus Christ has done and we deal with that as the ultimate truth in our lives and we don't deal with this world and the things of this world as the ultimate truth in our lives. They said, I live as if I'm an ostrich with my head in the sand. No. Uh, If you are not taking the reality of Jesus Christ and his kingdom as the ultimate truth and the kingdom that cannot be defeated as the eternal kingdom, the eternal rulership of God, and you only look at what's going on in the world, and that makes up most of your mind and most of your day, you are not living in reality. You're living with your head in the sand. You take your head out of the sand and look at facts. Now, uh, we're going to look at some facts here from Luke chapter 15, and let, let me read this from verse 1. This is absolutely outstanding, mind-blowing, always good, always good news. doesn't matter how many times you preach about this. And this is the message of Jesus being a friend of sinners. You know why Jesus is a friend of sinners? So that he could be your friend and my friend. That's why. (laughs) Because if Jesus wasn't a friend of sinners, we would have been in big trouble. Hallelujah. But he's a friend of sinners. Now listen to the uh, objections that there was against this because people wanted Jesus not to be a friend of sinners. It says here, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he would say, I welcome you. into my conversation and into my sphere of friendship, and then he would eat with them. Now, eating with a sinner would mean you saying he's like part of the family. That's what it would mean in, in those days, according to those customs. This guy would eat with sinners. We need to understand as we read on, And sadly, there is this message going around is that Jesus partied with the sinners and became drunk with the sinners. And no, that is not what Jesus did. He welcomed people were doing whatever they were doing. But Jesus Christ would welcome those people, invite them to his house, or when he is at a public place, eat with them, discuss with them, share with them. He wouldn't be like the Pharisees that say, when you go and when, when, the, when the tax collectors go and they steal money, that it makes them so dirty that I cannot associate with them or even talk to them. That is what it's talking about. So Jesus Christ was a friend of sinners. Why was he a friend of sinners? We can clearly see it in the next verses. It's because he 
wants to save people. He wants them to have life. And we have to face the fact when we commit sins, now some people say we as Christians cannot sin. Uh, well, there's a whole teaching about that which I don't want to get into, but I want to just keep it simple today. Please just bear with me and don't get too theological with me today. When we sin, when we do things that we're not supposed to do, or theologically the correct words, when we have the fruit of the flesh manifesting in our lives, we so many times want to pay for it by feeling guilty for a while. And then we have to face the fact that we, in the midst of our darkness, in the midst of the sins that we've committed, in the midst of the wrong that we've done, have a God that says, I love you, and Prior to you committing the sin, I already knew that you were going to do it. And I still blessed you yesterday, knowing that today you're going to do something wrong. I was still kind to you yesterday, knowing that you're going to do something wrong today. We even find we, we are like that as normal parents. It's, it's funny that how we so many times want to make God less than what we are as humans. I've got kids when my kids were born, I knew that they're going to be disobedient sometime. I knew that they're not going to listen to me. I knew that they will do, would do some things wrong that I don't agree with. I knew, and every person should know, that when you have a kid, that he will willfully disobey you sometimes. He'll do that. He will do things you tell him not to do. He's going to do that. Every child does. You might say, but not Mike. No, your kid, if, if you say he's never done it, you don't know about it. He's done it. <laughs> You've done it. It's part of humanity. And what do we do as parents? Even if we know our children will disobey us, what do we do? We still, they are still written into our will. We still cook them food. We still welcome them at home. We still friends with them. We still love upon them. How much more our Heavenly Father? How much more our Heavenly Father? I want to tell you straight out today. You might, you, you might think there are things in your life that is not in place and that that puts a distance between you and God. It is not true. It's not true. We've had this thing that sin separates us from God. If sin could separate man from God, then God could never have anything to do with man. After Adam sinned, who went to Adam? Who was seeking Adam? It was God. Could God speak to man? Yes. Could he have anything to do with man? Yes. Do you know what God did after Adam sinned? He clothed him. He clothed him. He took animal skins and he clothed him. Imagine that. No, but Adam's sin brings a separation between God and man. No, Adam's sin did not bring a separation between God and man. What Adam's sin did was it brought man to the place where man want to live by his own power. And God, even in the midst of Adam's disobedience, reached out to man, clothed man, gave man a prophetic word and said, listen, I promise you that I will bring the Messiah and he will end this which you have brought upon yourself and there will be salvation for man in the man, Jesus Christ. That is what happened. That is what happened. When We need to read the Bible 
the way Jesus read the Bible. When Jesus read the Bible, he saw that there was an enemy. He saw that there was destruction that man brought upon themselves. And he saw that he was the Messiah to bring what God has always dreamt for man to the earth, and that is to save people. Save them from what? Save them from themselves. Saves them from the accuser that accuses them all the time. That is what he's come to do. So when we read um, Luke chapter 15, we are reading about Jesus being a friend of these sinners. Jesus was not a party animal. That is not who he was. We shouldn't have that picture. We don't have a, a, a Jesus that was going about the ways of the world. So I'm just, and I want to say this out clear that you can know this. We have a Jesus that would be a friend of sinners, but as a friend of sinners, he was a responsible person that loves these people, that would care for them and truly care about their condition. It's like a, a medical doctor is always a good example. You can find a doctor that is a friend of sinners, a doctor that would uh, help the gangsters. If one gangster is, gets shot by another one, they're not going to go to the police. They're not going to go to the police with this one shot me because then there's other cases coming up and so forth. And also, uh, when when gangsters gets in fights and they need doctors, they want a doctor that's going to help the sinner. And that's the kind of person Jesus is. He's the doctor that will help the gangster that got shot in a fight where he was not supposed to be, and now he's bleeding out. That He's the doctor that is responsible, care, loves, will, highly intelligent, and will want to save a person's life. That's how we need to see Jesus Christ. He's one that loves us. He's one that cares for us. Listen to this. I want to read from verse 15. One, it says, Now the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered. They muttered. They were compl- uh, 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 professional moaners, man. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. He welcomes them. Do you know that sinners felt welcomed by Jesus? Now, if we can believe this for others, But when we do something wrong, we refuse to feel welcomed by God. When I get ill and I go down to the doctor's office, they welcome me. They welcome me. They don't tell me, so where did you get this? Let's say I got COVID. Now I go down to the doctor's office. They're not going to say to me, oh, well, have you been responsible that you wear your mask? that you wash your hands, that you keep social distancing, all that. No. They don't care how I got it. Their job is not to find out how I got it. Their job is to heal me. And Jesus Christ has likened himself unto a physician in the Bible. And he says that those who need a doctor is not those who are healthy, but those who are sick. And the job of the doctor is not to see if you've kept the laws of the country. No, the job of the doctor is to determine what kind of a sickness it is and then to help you, that you can be healed. That's what it's about. It's not to investigate you in the perp- to, uh, uh, to, to say, no, you don't qualify for healing or not. No, the doctor cannot show you a way. You go to the doctor's office, he must help you. That is the way it is. And here we find with Jesus Christ. He's a friend of sinners. He welcomes sinners. 
they feel welcome. So I want to say to you that when you have done something where you feel, uh, which you feel is not right, or if you are seeing the fruit of the flesh in your life, God welcomes you. He welcomes you. You can feel welcome. What you're going to find in the doctor's office, and as you have, as you speak to the doctor, is he's going to ask you some questions. This is what Jesus Christ is going to do as well. He's going to bring you to a place where he can heal you. He can say to you, the reason why you are where you are is because of this and that and whatever as pertaining to your belief system where you believe wrong about yourself, where you believe wrong about God and those kind of things. And he will, through his love, reshape your understanding of who you are and your understanding of who he is, and he will make everything new for you so that you can go away healed. To give you a good example of that, there was a woman that was caught in the act of adultery. When she was caught in the act of adultery, she was brought before the feet of Jesus, as all of you know this. Jesus removed the accusers. Then he removed doubt in her heart that the accusers weren't, I mean, doubt in her heart that she had about him and accusation. He said, where are your accusers? He said, there's no one. He says, neither do I accuse you. And then he said these words to her. Now go and sin no more. So can you see how he welcomed her, how he loved her, how there was a warm embrace, how he removed death from her, and how that would be empowerment unto a brand new life? So I want to say to you, whenever you fear, maybe you've watched the news, you say, oh, Lord Jesus, it's all this world is in a mess. We're not going to be saved. And you feel that anxiety and fear is grabbing a hold of your heart. And this week, somebody called me about their child. And, um, you know, and they, they were upset about certain things. And I, I looked at that and I just realized, you know, we, we, we get shocked when we see these things. We, we don't want our children to be rude and this and that and whatever. But the message through what's going on with a child is that God doesn't have rulership. God is not in control. That's the message. The message is that this child has separated himself now from the love of God. No. There's a greater message, and that is that God loves all people. There's a greater message, which is the Father is the teacher of every man, and he speaks to the heart of every person. There's a greater message, and that is the one that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, that he is Lord, he's conquered the sin and the death of this world. Now, when you've experienced the fruit of the flesh and you've been drawn into that for a while, you know, you've been drawn into fear and anxiety and whatever it is, and you now realize, oh my goodness, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm not supposed to feel like this, whatever. You've got guilt in your heart. You feel shame. I've got good news for you. Jesus welcomes you. He welcomes you. The moment that started to happen to you, his eyes was on you. He was concerned about you. It's like a lifesaver. You know, when the lifesaver is on the beach and the people are swimming in front of him there. And then there's the other beacons. You'll find that the lifesaver is not looking at the one that's doing well. His eyes are trained to look at somebody that's in distress. The moment the person is in distress, he focuses on that person. 
His whole being is towards that person. So the moment you started to live in fear, the moment you started to to feel distress, the moment your anxiety grabbed a hold of you, I want to tell you what, the eyes of God was focused on you. Not the way a police officer is trained to look at what people do wrong, but the way a lifesaver is trained to look at people in distress. Not to punish, but to save. So I've got good news for you. Jesus was a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You can see this. The one preacher once said it this way. He said, uh, you know, you got sinners, and then there was a special category of sinner called a tax collector, which was worse than the worst sinner is a tax collector. And Jesus, when he saw the tax collectors and the sinners, he looked at them the way a lifesaver looks at people that are in distress. They are already starting to show the signs of drowning. And we show those signs in our lives sometimes, you know. Oh, Lord Jesus, this is one of the things. We grab our head. God, I, we don't know. This, will this work out? Lord, I thought I was free of this thing. Now I'm seeing this again in my life. I don't know. Maybe I should try harder. As that grabs a hold of your heart, the eyes of God is now focused on you. It's going to help you. The way God cares for people that are in distress or people that are caught up in the fruit of the flesh is of such a magnitude that those who do live holy can even find an issue with it. I've seen in my own life, uh, when I do something wrong, I'm very grateful that God helps me. But when my enemy, the one that's against me, the one that tries to harm me, the one that tries to destroy me, when I see the blessing of God on his life, then it's like, Lord, can you just bless him a bit less, please? Please, Lord, bless him less because if he can be blessed less, maybe he can, uh, you know, and you'll have your reasons and whatever. But glory to God. When you look, and this is how God trains you. I've seen this in my own life. And as, as the good news of Jesus Christ grabbed the whole of my life, when I see those that are very great sinners, according to my standard of sinning now, this guy's really, he's cussing God, this, this, that. But I see the rain of God's righteousness fall on him. Then I say, Lord, I see that your rain falls on the just and the unjust. So when I do something wrong tomorrow or when I see some fruit of the flesh in my life tomorrow, it is not going to separate me from your blessing because the very sinner in front of my eyes is an example of your unending love and care. Listen, man, if we had to listen to the prophets of doom that and and you know, on how God is going to destroy South Africa, how America is going to be destroyed, how Europe is going to be destroyed because of these bad things. And these places would have been destroyed long ago, but they are not. We are seeing the continual mercy of God. Yeah, but you know, the mercy of God is going to run out. I've got news for you. The mercy of God is new every morning. So does that mean we can just live the way, whatever we want? No, I'm not saying we can live however we want. What I'm saying is Jesus is a friend of sinners. 
we all know that at the end of the day, we're gonna, we can, by continual rejection of God, destroy our own lives. But the scripture also says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The scripture also says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So we know God's provision. We know God's care. Listen to what God says to the people that complain. Suppose one of you had a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep? until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulder. This is beautiful. It's a beautiful way of looking at this. God will look for the sinner. In this case, type in a shadow here is truly of um, also the Gentiles. He will look for the sinner. The tax collector was worse than a Gentile to the Jews. Until he finds him, then he will put him on his shoulder and carry him home. And the beautiful thing here is, and you've heard this many times, but this sheep, in order to be a lost sheep, he has to have an owner. Otherwise, he can never be lost. So what Jesus was saying here is that the tax collector is part of the sheepfold. But this sheep is lost. And this sheep who belongs to the shepherd can die and be lost forever. And what he's going to do is he's going to go out and he's going to find that sheep and he's going to bring him. If he wants or not, he's going to bring him. And that is a, a, a certain category wherein what Jesus Christ has, what he's done has been explained. There was nothing anybody could do to stop Jesus from dying for the sin of the world. There was nothing. We have to face the fact that Jesus Christ died and took away the sin of the world. We have to face the fact that we cannot relate to any man anymore according to the flesh. It is gone. A new way of doing things has happened. A new day has dawned. That's what the old South African uh, apartheid system is gone never to be again. Glory to God. It is gone. We can never relate to people on the basis of skin color ever again, according to the South African law. All the children that are born after that took place didn't have a say in it. They don't have a choice. It is just the way it is. That is the way it is. That's how it works at the father's house. That's what the father has done. He's gone and he's looked for the sheep. He's looked for the lost people called the Gentiles. And he's brought the Gentiles in through the death and the resurrection of Jesus by fulfilling the law and taking the law out of the way. That is why we can now preach the forgiveness of sins. By that, I'm not saying everybody is saved, please. Not what I'm saying. That's why the parable of the lost son is also there. It goes on. It says, there was a lost coin. It says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one, doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? She'll, she'll search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and say, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, 
there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So what does Jesus say? The reason why I love on the sinner is so that the sinner's mind can be changed about who he is, who God is. For if he repents, he is found. His life will be preserved. His life will be saved. He will not be gone. He will not be lost anymore. Jesus Christ did not come that anybody should be lost, but that people should be saved. You go and read in John 18. It says, in, uh, yeah, it's John 18, when they came and they arrested the disciples or Jesus. Then Jesus says, leave these, talking about the disciples. He says, you've come for me. So you're going to kill me, but please leave these. Because this is not about them, it's about me. So you can see Jesus fending for the disciples wanting to save their lives. And then the scripture says in verse 9, it says, This was said so that it might be fulfilled in the scriptures that Jesus lost none. So lost is defined as not losing someone's life, dying. So if Jesus Christ came to save us, what does that mean? He's come to redeem us from death and give us eternal life, raise us up in the last day, that we will not be lost. So when it talks about finding us, it talks about giving life to us. He's come to restore our lives. So we find here that he looks at the lost sheep, and we have the parable of the lost sheep. He looks at the lost sheep, he loves the sheep, he goes out to find the sheep, and we have to face that fact, church. You have to face the fact that God will seek you until he finds you. And once you are in the fold, if you ever want to leave the fold, he'll seek you. He'll go after you. That's the job of the Holy Spirit. He will remind you of what you have freely received in Jesus Christ. That is what he will do all the time. We cannot get away from that. We have to face the fact that we are only saved by grace, as I've said, through faith alone. We have to face the fact that we are just dust, that we cannot live holy by our own works. We have to face the fact that we are not holy in ourselves by ourselves, but that we are, we are set apart by God and that the fruit that comes forth in our lives will never be by ourselves, but it will be a result of his love for us. That is how it is. We have to face the fact that he took away the sin of the world. It's facts that we have to face, that we have to deal with, that we've got to deal with every day. Let's look at the prodigal son. He says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So if the father divided his property between the sons, where is he living? Well, he's living with his sons. Isn't that a beautiful picture of God living with man? Isn't that a beautiful picture of the Garden of Eden where God built a garden where man was, where he was to put man and, and so live amongst men, living with his children? He made the earth for man. The earth belongs to God, <coughs> excuse me, but it is given to man to govern. And then what does God do? He builds a temple right here on earth to live with his sons. Isn't that beautiful? I said to my children, man, if all three of them move somewhere, just move. If you want to go to another country, just pick one country. Don't move to three different countries. Pick one so that I can move there. 
I want to live with you. <clears throat> God, uh, God, help me. My dad wants to move with me. I want to get away from him, but now he wants to move with me. No, thank God it's not like that. But this is the kind of a father we have, one that wants to live with us. That's the whole Old Testament story. It's a story of a garden where God fellowships with his people. It's a story of a place where God takes his inheritance take, or takes the, the, the estate, take everything he has and makes it available for his people. Then he says, what I have, I give unto you and I will live with you. That's what I'll do. I want you to share in my life. I, I'm a humble, humble father. That is what's taking place here. So the one child took his inheritance and he left and wasted it. This is actually talking about the Gentiles wasting their inheritance, just messing it up. We need to understand. Let me just get back to this point. I, I'm reminded of this. When we think of the Genesis story, <clears throat> we need to think of the tabernacle uh, and we have to think of the temple. We then have to think of Jesus coming to earth and his body being the temple. All of this is one story. God has got only one story. And that is that earth is the place where he wants man to live. <clears throat> On this earth, he's placed a place where the presence of God is. In this case, the man, Jesus Christ, who has now poured his spirit out on us. And so he will dwell in his temple with man. He's a family-orientated God. He cares for us. That, this is what this is about. So when the one son went and lost everything, listen to what happened. We all know this so, so, so well. Not long, long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off to a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. It's a place where one just squanders the wealth. Isn't this what the tax collectors did? They squandered the wealth of Israel. They squandered their right as a Jew. They squandered it, became friends with the Gentiles. As they became friends with the Gentiles, they were collecting taxes from their own people. And as they were collecting taxes from their own people, they were even stealing from their own people. And so enriching themselves, being empowered by the armies, <coughs> excuse me, of the enemy. But Jesus is a friend of those people. He's a friend of those people. You couldn't be a greater sinner than a tax collector, the way I look at the scriptures, than what the tax collectors were. Uh, it was They were completely outcast, but Jesus was a friend of them, bringing life to them. And we have to face that fact. You have to face the fact that God can reach to the depth of your darkness. You've got to face the fact that he will not reject you. You've got to face the fact as you know the rest of the story, that when the son comes back home and he comes with his plan where he says, well, I'm going to be a hired servant of my father so that I can have some uh, food, that the father will not accept that, that the father has not forgotten that he is a son. When you have done something wrong or when you see the fruit of the flesh in your life, church, you have to face the fact that God is not going to treat you like a servant now. You will always be treated by him 
like a son. You also have to face the fact that if you want to live on your own, things are going to become difficult for you. There's drought out there. There's enemies out there. There's famine out there. You might be under the power of somebody of the other country and he'll treat you very bad. There's no food. There's difficult times. But as you come home to the Father, as you come to yourself where you realize that you have a Father, that that he cares for you, if you want to come back and you want to be God's slave, he's not going to allow you. He's going to clean you, put new shoes on your feet. He's going to wash you. He's going to put a ring on your finger and restore you to what you truly are. He's going to bring into manifestation what is in his mind. And then he will bless you to the point that those who try to live by their own works, to try and find favor with God by their own works, that they will be jealous and complain. That's how it is. We have to face that fact. As we continue and we look at the older brother, the older brother had to face the fact that the father was good to the younger brother. And the older brother had to face the fact that his own works wasn't what blessed him. He was blessed because of the love of the father, that he was always with the father. And he also had to face the fact that he, by his own works, that he thought that he had these good things by his own works, but that it wasn't the case that it was by the mercy and the kindness of God and that the father was calling the older brother to repentance, to say, repent of what you believe, see things for what they truly are. Your brother was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he is found. And that is what I've come to give. Church, this is the message that I have for today. We can... I think we can end off with just reading Ephesians chapter 1. And one of the facts that we have to face, and these facts is things that are sometimes not easy to face, especially if your flesh wants to wallow in guilt and in condemnation. We don't want to face this, but the stuff we have to face. We have to face the fact that when God speaks to us, he announces grace. And this is what Paul says, peace be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus, or excuse me, praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. In every heavenly realm, with every spiritual blessing in Christ, he has blessed us. For he has chosen us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We have to face that fact that he has chosen us to be holy without blame in his sight. He's taken us from the dust of the earth who cannot, which cannot produce that. And he's decided that this dust of the earth will have my fullness. And we have to face the fact that he has to bring that forth. There's no other way and that he will bring it forth. So I want to say to you, you have to face the fact that in the times of your weakness, that you'll have to get your mind to a place where you accept the love and the goodness of God towards you. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for the adoption to sonships. In love, he's predestined that he'll take dust and adopt it as 
God beings forevermore that can never die, that's a full expression of who God is. You have to face it. Deal with it. And that we will be to the praise of His glorious grace. The good in your life will never be to the praise of your own life commitment and hard work. It will always be to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has freely given us in the one He loves. We have to face the fact that grace is freely given to us. Freely. It's freely given. It's for free. So whenever we are tempted, and this is where temptation comes in, we are tempted to work hard by our own ability, and we want to earn it. No, it's for free. Glory to God. I want to say this. When God has given us Jesus, he's given us Jesus because he's concerned about man. He wants man to have life. He wants to bring the power of his grace to us where we can be truly set free from sin, where we can truly live in peace, where we can receive it as a free gift, where it's by his power and it's unto us. We have to face that. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just a message of God feeling happy feelings from afar, like that song that we used to hear a long time, secular song, God is watching us from a distance. And then from a distance, he feels happy somehow. No, that is not. It's like the father uh, feeling love towards the prodigal son when he's in the other country but he doesn't have the power to restore him fully once he returns. No, the father is a father that cares. When you come to him, he'll fully restore you, but his care is also in the light of seeking the sheep, seeking the coin, which he did in Jesus' death and resurrection. He has seeked us and he's found our our life and secured it in Jesus Christ, and we can just come home. That's it. And as we are home, we continue to walk in this truth day by day. Amen and amen. Glory to God. Let us pray together. Father, thank you for your love and your grace. Thank you that you care for us. Thank you that we can face the fact that you have forgiven us. We can face the fact that we've been made part of the Godhead. We can face the fact that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We can face the fact that your grace is powerful and that it makes everything new. We can face the fact that we've been given eternal life as a gift and that it's by gift alone. We can face the fact that in you we've conquered even mortality itself and we've got the hope of eternal life. Thank you, Lord, that we can face the fact that there's no condemnation for us in Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that we can face the fact that you've come to heal our flesh. Thank you, Lord, that you, we can face the fact that, that you have given unto us a new mind. Thank you, we can face the fact that we've got the mind of Christ. Thank you that we can face the fact that, that we've been made and we are being made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That we can face the fact that we are the body of the Christ. Thank you that we can face the fact that you have come to dwell within us, that we are your temple. Thank you that we can face the fact that all of this is kept and maintained by the word of your power. Thank you, Lord, that we can face these facts. And as we look at these facts and we look at what the world presents, we say, we face the fact that what the world presents is not factual and that it is merely something that is temporal and not eternal and not worthy to form our minds. 
and shape our minds and our lives because what you have brought is way more eternal and much more stable. Thank you, Lord. Amen and amen. Thank you so much that I could have blessed you with this message. Know that you are deeply loved by God. Face the Christian facts and experience the life of God. Amen.